The following paragraph, so I'm told, and I've seen it in a couple of these Bibles, is found in the introduction to virtually every Bible produced and distributed by the Gideons International Ministry. Now, some of you know what the Gideons are. They are that group of uh, men and their wives in an auxiliary fashion who help to distribute the, the Bible in all sorts of places, in all sorts of languages. Listen to what this says. It's found in the preface of Gideon Bibles. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It goes on to say the Bible is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Here paradise is restored, heaven is opened, and the gates of hell are disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God is its end. The Bible should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, it will be opened at the judgment, and will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. Close quote. That's a pretty good way to start the Bible. Amen? I wonder here on this New Year's Day in 2023, just how your relationship with a holy God is of late in His holy word. Do you, as Peter says over in 1 Peter chapter 2, still crave the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God as a newborn infant? Or perhaps, if you're being completely honest today, you have grown to be bored with the Bible. Is your relationship with God and with His Word sizzling, or is it stale? What is your relationship with God's Word today. How should we view the Bible? And perhaps today, what can we do practically to get ourselves in a better footing or standing to really love and to live God's Word in this new year? Well, it's Charles Spurgeon who said, the more you read the Bible and the more you meditate on it, the more you will be astonished by it. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, declared, I want to know one thing, that one thing is the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way, for this very end he came from heaven. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book, Wesley says. At any price, give me the book of God. And then he concludes this statement, I have it here is knowledge enough for me? Let me be a man, a man of one book. Oh, that the Methodist church would be reminded today 
just what John Wesley set out to do so many years ago. Maybe the best of all ways to set up our message today is what the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16. This is a verse you need to note. The prophet says, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Is the word of God sweet savory to you these days. Charles Spurgeon again said, visit many good, good, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. It's a good statement. Well, this morning I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the longest chapter in God's Word. That, of course, is Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a poem of great praise for the perfect promises and the priceless precepts of Almighty God. Here we have a song which celebrates the statutes of the living God and rejoices in the revelation of the one true source of eternal wisdom and salvation, that is the Bible. Kids, you know this song, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And then I used to say, yippee, when I was little. Once again, Psalm 119, which uh, can be found on page 512 in your pew Bible, if you happen to use the pew Bible here at Trinity. It ends, it begins on page 512, it ends on page 116, which tells you something about this particular chapter, that it is long, a massive 315 lines of text, 176 verses in total, but you'll be glad to hear this morning, I'm only going to fo focus on eight verses, okay? How about that? Psalm 119 is one of about 50 psalms that came to us anonymously. That is, we don't know who wrote it. Actually, one-third of the book of Psalms, the Psalter, comes to us anonymously. We don't know who wrote about a third of the Psalms. Various scholars have suggested King David even the scribe Ezra, even the prophet Daniel as the possible author of Psalm 119. But we don't really know. What we do know is that the Holy Spirit of God was the ultimate origin and author of this particular chapter, as well as all the chapters of God's Word. As 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 declares, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 783,134 words in the Bible. 31,102 verses in the Bible. 1,189 chapters in the Bible. 66 books in the Bible. Two testaments in the Bible, but one voice in the Bible, God's voice. This is God's word. Psalm 119, as you may already know, is a very famous acrostic psalm. That is to say, each of the 176 verses in this particular chapter are broken down into 22 separate stanzas in Psalm, 139, psalm 119, excuse me, containing eight verses each. And the eight lines in each particular stanza all begin with the very same Hebrew letter 
in the alphabet. In other words, verses 1 through 8 begin with a Hebrew letter Aleph. Verses 9 through 16 begins with a Hebrew letter Bet. We might say B. Uh, verses 17 to 24 begin with Gimel. And verses 25 to 32 begin with the Hebrew letter Dalit. You get the point. Eight verses, a new Hebrew letter, thus making an acrostic uh, with this psalm. Not only is this psalm a work of revelation, friends, Psalm 119 is a work of art. It is a beautiful piece of Scripture. By the way, Lamentations chapter 3 is the only other biblical chapter that follows this very same template, meaning that instead of, in that context, uh, 22 stanzas of eight verses, we find over in Lamentations chapter 3, 22 stanzas of three verses apiece, which again all start with a successive letter of the Hebrew uh, alphabet, which is, again, kind of something neat to notice. One author said of Psalm 119, quote, this giant among the Psalms shows the full flowering of the Psalm 1 delight in the law of God. That man who delights in the law of God and meditates upon it day and night ascends to the heights of the revelation of God's word in Psalm 119. Every verse in Psalm 119, except with the lone exception of verse 122, explicitly references God's Word. That's remarkable. Here in the heart of the Bible, which is what I call the book of Psalms, we ascend the heights of Hebrew poetry and bask in the unparalleled beauty and wisdom of the wonderful Word of God. Psalm 119 is one of the highest of all peaks of divine revelation. Now, it's said that the rabbis of Israel noted that there are 10 synonyms for the scriptures or the Bible repeated throughout this particular psalm. Let me point them out to you by way of instruction. One for each of the Ten Commandments, by the way. Not sure if this was intended, but it's a neat observation. For example, Psalm 119.18 declares, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. That word law is one of the synonyms. God's law, the Torah, is referenced 25 specific times in Psalm 119. Or perhaps the second word, Dabar, or Davar, Psalm, Psalm 119.9, How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? There's another of the words. God's word, his Dabar, is mentioned 24 times in this particular psalm. Likewise, we read of God's rules or his ordinances. The Hebrew word here is mispatim, 23 times in Psalm 119. Verse 88 declares, In your steadfast love give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Here, the fourth word, testimonies, is the Hebrew word hedo, which occurs 23 times. The words commandments, decrees, precepts, sayings, and further down, God's ways and path. These are all different synonyms for the Word of God. Ten different terms to declare the value and just real beauty of God's Word. All God's ways, all God's words, God's paths and precepts, God's rules and decrees, His testimonies, His laws and His statutes are completely good and completely life-giving, truly 
Psalm 119 is a pinnacle of praise for the wonder of God's Word. Now, I've selected the 17th stanza of Psalm 119 for our passage and sermon this morning, but truly any of the 22 stanzas would do an admirable job for our purposes today. Though we don't see this in our English Bibles, perhaps, uh, each of the verses in our section, Psalm 119, verse 126, or 129 through verse 136, all begin with the Hebrew consonant pay, P-E. Maybe if you look in your copy of God's Word above verse 129, you'll see the English type P-E. That is one of the Hebrew letters. All of the stanzas begin with a different one. Charles Hatch and Spurgeon, again, aptly said this, this section of Psalm 119 is precious, practical, profitable, and powerful, peculiarly so. And that's very uh, well said, playing off the letter P, was he not? Well, here we find in Psalm 119, verse 126 through verse 136, how the unknown author does four things. He praises the Lord for the wonder of God's word. Secondly, he shows intense and personal affection for the commands of God above. Thirdly, the psalmist petitions God for fresh mercy to keep, that is to obey or to do what God's word rightly says. And lastly, and I think importantly, the psalmist laments or weeps over those who do not love God's law, those that have forsaken his law. A.W. Tozer said, The word of God well understood and religiously obeyed is the shortest route to spiritual maturity. Friend, if you want to grow this year as a Christian, you have to be planted in God's word. And we must not select, he says, a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others, for nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. Psalm 119 is for whole Bible believers. May we be just such people. Well, listen, my aim and my great hope for this New Year's Day sermon is that the Holy Spirit would use this very text and this passage, even this sermon perhaps, to jumpstart our delight and devotion to the Word of God in this new year. Spurgeon again said, nobody ever outgrows Scripture. Instead, the book widens and deepens with us over our years. We are a people of one book at Trinity. Amen? Amen. In order to truly be Bible people, we must read the Word, we must believe the Word, we must obey the Word, and we must share the Word. The book The Bible is my life, N.T. Wright says. It's the book I live with. It's the book I live by. It's the book I want to die by. May that be true of us. Now, Psalm 119, verses 129 to 136, here we are given seven reasons why the testimonies of God are truly wonderful. Even seven reasons why the soul who reads them and loves God's word should keep or obey it. Well, here now, 
the wonderful word of the Lord, beginning in Psalm 119, verse 129. Hear God's word. Your testimonies, the psalmist says, are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears, because people do not keep your law. Thanks be to God for the wonder and the mercy and the usefulness even of His very word this morning. You know, in reality, verse 129 of our text this morning in the original reads this way. Wonderful, from the Hebrew word Pele, wonderful are your testimonies, thus my soul keeps them. The word wonderful is the first word in Psalm 119, verse 129. Therefore, I'd like to suggest to you this morning that Psalm 119, verse 129, I know that's a lot to say every time, but it gives us the theme, even the basis for all the reasons that are going to now flow out in the next few verses here this morning. In other words, God's word is wonderful and praiseworthy, therefore our souls not only should delight in God's word, we must do God's word. Listen to me. God's word is not wonderful because we obey it. We obey God's word because it is wonderful. In fact, I want you to notice together with me how the concept of obedience is embedded in this passage. We find it anywhere we find the word keep. Look down in the text with me and find the word keep. It's mentioned, I believe, four times in these eight verses. Verse 129 says, Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. Verse 133, the first part says, Keep steady my steps according to your promise. Verse 134 says, Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. And finally, verse 136 again says, My eyes shed stream of, streams of tears because people do not keep your law. The word keep is reminding us or emphasizing the idea of obedience. Again, how do we know that we find God's word truly wonderful? Well, the answer is we keep his word. We do his word. What does 1 John 2 verse 3 say? But and this, and by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. In other words, we do what God says we, he delights in. Doing is actually a part of delighting in the word of God. The New Testament book of James agrees with this. This is a passage many of us are familiar with, James 1, and following. But be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For if he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like, 
but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Again, delighting demands doing. Do you delight in the Word of God? Well, do you keep the Word of God? Do you obey it? Don't brag about reading God's Word all the way through in a year. The point is not to read through the Word of God. It is to read the Word of God through you. It is to have the Word of God pressed upon you. Don't brag about being a Bible believer if you walk away and forget all that it says or leave it unkept. That's gross hypocrisy, if not sheer insanity when we do that. And I've done it. I'll be honest with you. God's Word is uniquely filled with wonder. In fact, the Bible itself is a treasure chest just waiting for us to approach it and open it and enjoy it. I noted in my study this past week that the words wonder and wonderful alone are employed 32 times in the book of Psalms, the very heart of the Bible, to remind us that the Bible is not boring. It is blessed. It is precious if we love the Lord. Charles Spurgeon again writes in the Treasury of David, a commentary on the Psalms. He writes this in context with this passage. He says, the word of God is full of wonderful revelations, commands and promises, wonderful in their nature as being free from all error and bearing within themselves overwhelming self-evidence of their truth, wonderful in their effects as instructing, elevating, strengthening, and comforting the soul. Jesus, the eternal word, is called wonderful. And all the uttered words of God are wonderful in their degree. Those who know them best wonder at them most. It is wonderful that God should have borne testimony at all to sinful men, and more wonderful still that his testimony should be of such a character, so clear, so full, so gracious, and so mighty. Closed quote. Do you find God's word truly wonderful. If so, you will obey it. You will read it. You will believe it. And you will share it. So we have in verse 129 a statement of this section's theme, God's word is truly wonderful. What follows next are seven related reasons, I'll say the word implication this morning, that reflect the true wonderfulness, I'm making that word up, of the Bible. And we'll make our way through these pretty quickly in the rest of our time this morning. The first of which is this. In verse 130, we discover that God's word is truly wonderful because it is a glow. That is, it is illuminating. God's word is illuminating. Listen to what God's word says there. Psalm 119, excuse me, Psalm 119, verse 129 or 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Elsewhere in Psalm 119, we read in verse 105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. King Solomon, David's son, agrees with the psalmist, writing over in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23, For the commandments is a lamp and the teaching is a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way 
of life. The Bible is a bright book. Listen, a closed Bible sheds no light, but an open Bible illuminates our way. This is the point of verse 130. The Hebrew term there translated as unfolding in the ESV, as Jim Boyce states, is variously translated either as revelation or even at times as door, depending upon the Hebrew vowel pointing. This is maybe not obvious to us, but the people of Israel were largely um, Bedouin people. They would, they would travel about in tents, and the term here is used for the door of the tent that would be opened up and light would come into the tent. That's what God's Word does for us. The point then is that we need to crack the door by opening the Bible in order to let its light into our life. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, the, the hymnist says, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. So the first reason why God's word is truly wonderful is that it is brilliantly illuminating like no other book here on earth. The Bible shows us who God is. The Bible shows us what God commands. It shows us what God has done for the world in sending the light of life himself in the face of Jesus Christ. And the Bible shows us then how to have peace with God in heaven by embracing his son here on earth in the gospel. Well, notice secondly today that the psalmist also says that God's word is truly wonderful because it is uniquely satisfying. It is uniquely satisfying to the senses. We find that in verse 131. Before we look at that verse, recall how the man Moses the human author of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, said to the people of Israel back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, quote, The Lord humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You all know that that is the very same text and verse, among others, that Jesus quotes when he himself is tempted by the devil in Matthew chapter 4, there in the wilderness. Jesus fought temptation with the very word of God, and he mentioned here the word of God here in Deuteronomy 8.3. Moreover, Psalm, 1, excuse me, Psalm 81 verse 10 testifies to God's promise and provision of sustenance this uniquely satisfying element of God's word where it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. I'm told that was Charles Simeon's favorite verse often in his preaching, Psalm 81 verse 10. Listen, what is the number one reason why people say they can't read the Bible or don't read the Bible? Think about that just for a moment. Some people say it's because they can't understand the Bible, and I totally get that. There are some very difficult places to understand. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says the cardinal or, un, uh, carnal or unspiritual man cannot even understand the things of God. I, 
I get that some people put the Bible away because it's hard to grasp. But the real excuse that many of us perhaps would be honest to give is that we say we don't have time to read the Bible. We don't have time to read the Bible. However, that's also really a lame excuse. We aren't satisfied with the choice meat of God's Word because we're too busy cramming our mouths full of snacks and sweets from the stuff of the world. It's not that we don't have time, it's that we don't make time for the Word of God. We'd rather have junk food than feast on the Lord Jesus Christ. Twelve minutes a day. I think it was Rob Jackson back at Liberty who used to say this all the time. Twelve minutes a day is all that it takes reading at the rate that I'm speaking right now to read through the Word of God in one year. Twelve minutes. Can we not give God twelve minutes out of 24 hours? Of course we can. I came across something uh, that Crossway, it's a Christian book uh, publishing company, put together. Uh, They put together an infographic that shows how long it actually takes to read various books of the Bible. Did you know that you can read the book of Genesis, for example, in three hours and 30 minutes? That's all it takes to read the book of Genesis. Three hours, three and a half hours. You can read the entire book of Ruth in 14 minutes. Okay, Psalms might take you a bit longer. Psalms takes nearly five hours to read. That's, that's longer. But you could read the books of Joel, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, and Malachi, each in under 17 minutes. You can read Mark's gospel in about an hour and 20 minutes, again, reading at a normal pace. And I don't read exceptionally well, friends. I, it takes a lot for me to, I read a lot, but I don't read exceptionally well. Most of Paul's letters can be read in under 15 minutes. The book of Romans can be read in under an hour. The shortest book to read, 2 John, takes two minutes to read. Two minutes. It's not really a matter of time. It's a matter of priority. It's a matter of priority. The psalmist said, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. It's no surprise that we have little appetite for God's Word when we are filling ourselves up on junk food so much of the time. The average American Christian spends significantly more time watching television, I'm guilty of this at times, scrolling on Facebook, checking out Twitter, watching YouTube than they do reading God's Word. And what are the results of that? Well, often we are ignorant, not only of God's Word, but of God's character, And then we are disobedient because we don't know the Lord. What do you think investing just 12 minutes a day in this new year would do for your spiritual walk with Jesus? I'll say it in one word. Transformation. Transformation. Not just information to consume, but transformation through the Word of God to obey. God's Word is truly wonderful, we've seen, for two reasons. It is illuminating, and like nothing else on earth, it is truly satisfying. But thirdly, in verse 132, God's word here reminds us of another reason why it is wonderful, and that is because it uniquely conveys grace and mercy to sinners before God. Verse 132 says, Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those 
who love your name. The middle part of this stanza complements several reasons, uh, several uh, purposes of the benefits of being in God's word. First, that prizing God's word, God's name, brings us near to God's mercy and God's grace. Puzzled over this this week. Have you ever wondered why the Bible contains so many stories, so many different stories about God's interactions, his gracious interactions with truly messed up people? You ever wondered that? Have you read the Bible lately? Well, the reason is because God wants his story of grace in the past to once again be your story of grace in the present. The Bible is a real and raw book for unrighteous people that we might walk in righteous ways. In fact, I think Paul gets at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 and following, where he writes, Now these things took place, again here speaking of God's dealings with the people of Israel back in the wilderness in the Old Testament, as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drank and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things, verse 11 says, happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, lest, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The Bible is a real book given by God, inspired by God, preserved by God to really change your life. The Word of God is a world full of grace, stories of grace, scenes of grace, portraits of how God mercifully pursues and rescues and redeems those who love his name. Grace and mercy come from meeting the Lord in His Word. As one author puts it, the mercy of God for sinners is the most wonderful of all wonders. So look, in this stanza, perhaps you've noticed this already in these verses that we're looking at today, the psalmist has been incorporating the motif or the theme of man's entire body with the implications of reading God's wonderful Word. Notice that his soul keeps God's testimonies. Moreover, his eyes behold the light of God's truth, which makes the simple man's mind understand his word. The psalmist opens his mouth, desiring to be quenched with the sustenance that comes by the Spirit. And here in verse 133, we find the fourth point, that the psalmist's feet, his steps, are affected by the wonderful word of God. Notice what the verse says, keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. What is the psalmist asking for but guidance? Guidance in life. Again, here we discover that God's word is truly wonderful because of the solid ground of God's faithful promises to forgive and to atone for human sin. I wonder this morning, do you ever grow tired 
of reading about God's perfect provision of peace and salvation in His Son, Jesus Christ? I have to admit, I have at times. I've grown tired. I've grown fatigued or weak in reading God's Word. But really, that ought not to be the case. The Word truly grows sweeter to God's saints over time. Not bitter. I've read the Bible many times at this point in my walk with Christ. But, and I'm always amazed, especially of late, at the wisdom and the mercy of God to pardon sinners, to pardon even me. Jesus is more glorious today in his word after following him now for 30 years and not less. Is that the same for you? How many suffering servants have gone to a passage like Romans chapter 8 and been overwhelmed at the love and the mercy of God? Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could stand against us? He who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Paul writes, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Read God's word and be satisfied. If we knew that we had access to a special medicine that would heal our sickness, or if we knew that we had written down somewhere the glad announcement that would be, bring encouragement and comfort to our weary and worried hearts, then why would we keep it bottled up or shelved somewhere? No, we would pull it out and we would read it and we would savor it. St. Augustine said the Holy Scriptures are our letters from home. God has written to us He's written of his love. He's written of his son. Well, so far, we've seen light. We've seen sustenance. We've seen grace and guidance. Now, fifthly, we find protection. Verse 134, the psalmist says, Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Again, listen, listening to and loving and believing the Bible doesn't typically endear one to the world, does it? not in 2023. People can be tolerant of all sorts of things except the notion of absolute truth or the truth that they are absolutely dead wrong in their religion. However, here in verse 134, we are reminded that God's word both guides and guards us. It keeps our steps steady sometimes when our hearts accuse us and certainly when the world accuses us and attacks us. The word liberates our life from the fear of man. Jesus says in John 8, 32, Then you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Paul wrote to the Philippians, 
Perhaps at the end of his days, it turned out not to be. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Paul was not concerned about the outcome of his life. He knew the eventual outcome would be with God in heaven. Jesus himself says in Matthew 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who are we fearing, really, friends? Again, reading, believing, obeying, and sharing God's word is the best way to please God. But it's also the quickest way to upset the world. If you become a Bible Christian, and many of you are already, the world will not like it. The world will not suffer it. You may be the one that's caused to suffer. However, just like when Daniel and his three Hebrew friends that we read of uh, not long ago, how they feared God more than they feared Nebuchadnezzar and his wicked words, God is able to rescue and restore his righteous ones from a world of pain, a world of trouble, and a world of fear, either in death or from death. It's God's decision either way. The man or woman who delights in God's wonderful word and does what it commands will never lack God's blessing or favor. God's word protects us from what uh, truly can harm us. We find here in the psalmist by steadying our steps according to his promises. And that word blessing leads us to our sixth point. A sixth reason why God's word is truly wonderful this morning is that it bestows on us uniquely God's favor in his shining face and truth. Look at verse 135. Make your face shine upon your servants and teach me your statutes. Listen, do you want to know God this year? Do you want to be closer to God in 2023 than you were in 2022? I'll give you the simple recipe. Grab a Bible, open the Bible, and read the Bible. It's that simple. Be in the book. Don't look for visions. Don't listen for voices. Be a person of the word. God will draw near you like you've never experienced before. But you must draw near to him in obedience and in a thirst for his word. To have the word of God so prevalently in our generation and certainly in our location as Americans comes with great responsibility. As the scripture says, to whom much is given, much is required. God has given us his word to point us to Christ, to prepare us for service, to produce in us the righteous fruit, that by the Holy Spirit, and to protect us from the wiles of the evil one and to preach the gospel to the lost. But we must use the word. We must use the word for those purposes. Someone has famously said that Christians are often the only Bible that some people will ever read. You've all heard that statement before. But if that's the case, what are our lives saying about the Savior we claim to love? Do we know him? Do we listen to him? Do we look like him? Do we sound like him? We won't if we aren't in the word and allowing his spirit to shape us by the word. What will people think about God based upon the example and the evidence that we give them from our lives this year? I don't want us just to be a people that the folks in Berks County or Bland and say, you know what, those are, those are Bible people. But then their impression is that we are cold and 
calloused people who just want to pound the people with the truth of God's word, but rather they would say, no, those are people who know God because they are planted in his word and they are a kind people. They are a convicted people, but they love others. There are people who claim the truth, and I may not share that truth, but they believe it and they live it. That's the kind of people that I pray for myself and for you this year we would be. Well, there's one last point that I think is resonating out of that final statement that I just made. It's Psalm 139, verse 136 says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. This is one thing that I fear many American evangelical Christians have not really gotten. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The saying goes, the sins of sinners are the sorrows of the saints. How do you view the insanity of sin in the world around you? With contempt? With despise? Or with compassion? I'll tell you how Christ viewed those who sinned around him. As he approached Jerusalem just before his uh, final week, he wept over the city of Jerusalem because they did not recognize him. Are you puffed up with spiritual pride based upon the knowledge, your knowledge of the word of God? Does the wonder of God's grace to send his son to save such a sinful man or woman as you to spread out God's amazing plan of salvation to the ends of his globe? Does this story of God's amazing grace cause you to have pity like the psalmist had on those who had turned away from God's law? That's what I pray for us. You ever find yourself shedding streams of tears over the famine of God's word here in America, over the famine of God's word in his church, maybe the famine of God's word in your home, famine of God's word in your own heart. We should shed tears over our own disobedience before we ever shed tears over the world's disobedience. And when we shed and are broken over our own rebellion, then we will be moved to share this message with others around us because they do not know the Lord. Proverbs 29 verse 18 is a verse many people know. They often misapply it. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. That's a verse that many pastors today are going to use for Vision Sunday on the first day of the year. But it's a, a verse talking about the revelation of the word of God which restrains sin and points to a redeemer. You know what happens when you spend time in God's word and really spend time in God's word? Not only do you love and you begin to do the things that God delights in, but you also start to care about the lost people that God cares about. You start to shed tears over the sins of people around you. You know who Fanny Crosby was? Fanny Crosby is that famous, prolific, blind hymnist of the uh, late 19th century. She wrote the words to one of my favorite hymns. We rarely ever sing it, Rescue the Perishing. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. 
Weep o'er the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Listen, God's word is truly wonderful. We've seen this morning that it illuminates and it satisfies. It gives grace and provides guidance. God's word steadies our feet. It brings God's blessings and it causes us to weep when people don't love God's law. Now, by the way, God willing, in 2023, and maybe you've noticed this in the bulletin, I'll be reading once again God's Word from cover to cover this year. I want to challenge you to join me. Don't make a hollow resolution. Just get in God's Word. But if you want a reading friend, I'm happy to be that friend. Several of you have already reached out to me and said you're going to be reading through God's Word this year. I'm so very grateful. Maybe today's message might have convicted you or encouraged you to read God's Word this year. Hey, today's day one. We're all starting together fresh today. How about maybe applying this message by getting in God's Word in that way? Let me give you just a couple, very quick, I apologize for the link today, just a couple of suggestions if you do read God's Word through this year. Number one, read in a new translation. I've read God's Word in the NIV, in the NKJ, New King James Version, but this year it's going to be in the Christian Standard Bible. Read a new translation. That might actually help to freshen things up a little bit. Secondly, write down, this is hard, but write down a chapter summary for every chapter that you read. Not every verse, that would be a lot. But every chapter that you read, write down a summary and keep a record and go back to it again and again throughout the year. I plan to do that this year. Thirdly, memorize key verses that you haven't memorized before from place to place. And fourthly, talk with somebody about what you're reading this year. Just a few practical suggestions as you read through God's word this year. Well, that's the sermon. Let's bow in prayer. Oh, Father, and the one who authored the book that we esteem and love, we thank you for your word. Wonderful seems to be insufficient of a word for it. But the psalmist says, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. Lord, I pray this year you would help us to taste and see that your goodness is new, that your goodness is satisfying. I pray, Lord, that you'd guide us and guard us in the light of your great word this year. Sanctify us as Jesus prayed in the truth, for your word is truth. Lord, I pray that you would make your face to shine upon us and that we would learn at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ what it means to please you. Cause us, O oh God, as a result of all of this, both to love you more and to love the lost more. Cause us to have a Christ-like sense of compassion to those that have forsaken or perhaps even never been introduced to the Bible this year. Lord, I know that you'd bless such an endeavor. And so we present ourselves before you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.